Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Great to see all of you here this morning. We are going to take a look at Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. We'll read verses 1 through 9. If you're not familiar with it, you likely will be when we begin to read. And I would just say this, whisper a prayer, because I do believe with all my heart God has got a word for us today. It's usually those days, though, it seems that the old enemy likes to fight us. But man, I just feel so blessed this morning. So I I almost am frightened. I I feel good. You know what I mean? (laughs) I wonder where he's coming from next. Uh, But uh, that's all right. God's got all that taken care of. I thought about when they sang this morning. If it wasn't for the cross, that could be the biography for every one of us in here. It's short and sweet. We could read each other's in just, you know, a few seconds. If it wasn't for the cross, that pretty well sums up everything. Let's look together at Genesis chapter 11. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. And it came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. They said, come let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see. I I like that. No matter how high humans can build something, God still has to come down to take a look at it. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, he's going to have a conversation with himself here within the Trinity. Behold, they are one people and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel. In the Hebrew, that means confusion. In their Akkadian or Semitic languages that are older, it would have been known as Bab-Eli, which means gate of God. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. I shared a poem with the men on Wednesday night. That'll, that alone will make you wish you had been here, right? I don't read a lot of poems, but I read this one. William Ernest Henley from, lived from 1849 to 1903. He wrote a poem called Invictus, and it, it's a little complicated. I'll provide a little commentary along the way, but he says, Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, the whole earth, he says to me, is just 
black with darkness. I think whatever God's may be for my unconquerable soul. It fell in the clutch of circumstance, or in the clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, you never know what's coming at you, my head is bloody but unbowed. And beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, which is death. There's nothing really to live for, he said. Nothing to look forward to but the shade of death. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll, the scroll of my life. No matter how many disasters are written on the scroll for my life, no matter how much indignity I have to Endure whatever comes my way. Notice the last two lines. How charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. If you had to come up with a motto for post-Christian America... I think his last line would work quite well. I am the captain of my soul. I will do whatever I want to do. The individual and the worship of the individualism in our country and in our world today is, it's the fastest growing religion in the world, some have said. I make my own decisions. I do what I want to do. I'll not be told what to do. I am the captain of my soul. And to make this poem more interesting, you ought to look at maybe some modern-day folks who have, have quoted this poem. Barack Obama quoted it at the funeral of Nelson Mandela. Steve McVeigh quoted it at his execution right before they put the needle in his arm. I am unbowed. I am the captain of my soul. Man, let's take a look at where we are. And we're going to learn some things today about ourselves and this way of thinking that has invaded our world, and we're going to find out that it's a lot older than perhaps we may have thought. If you look at Genesis 1 through 11, there are several things that happen. The the good news is God's always got an answer. We have the fall of man in chapter 3, but God came into the garden and clothed them and promised them a Redeemer. And then in the next chapter, Cain kills Abel, but then God sends Seth. His name means replacement, and he was sent to replace Abel so that the bloodline could go on. And then later the Sethites would marry the Canaanites, and God would have to send a flood. I, I, I like saying God sent an ark because destruction was inevitable. We, we can say uh, God did that, and he, because he's sovereign, and yes, he did. It says he did, but we sometimes forget he also sent an ark. He had an ark prepared through a man named Noah so that he could save us and keep the bloodline on continuing. And then after that, Noah, you remember, he had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Epheth. And Shem would be the one who later would be the, uh, uh, in the bloodline with Abraham. And it would be through Abraham's seed that this world that he is about to scatter in this chapter, it will be through his seed and through the descendants of Abraham that God will reach into this world and one day bring it all back together. But every time these people or we as human beings come and do something 
like this that God says not to do, God always has an answer. But I want you to listen to something that Derek Kidner uh, writes in his book on Genesis. I love reading it when I'm in this area of Scripture. I'm going to read a quote by him. He says, The primeval history reaches its fruitless climax as man consciously or conscious of his new abilities prepares to glorify and fortify himself by collective effort. You got to realize by this time, civilization or humans are fairly young on this earth, and, and but now they're beginning to feel their oats a bit and feel like that, boy, we can do anything that we want to do, and they still can't get that, that quote out of their head that came from Satan's lips himself, that you can be like God. He goes on to say the elements of the story here are timeless or timelessly characteristic of the spirit of the world. We still have it today. The project is typically grandiose. Men describe it excitedly to one another as if it were the ultimate achievement, very much as modern man glories in his space projects. And at the same time, though, they betray their insecurity as they crowd together to preserve their identity and to control their fortunes. In other words, they have discovered that, boy, If we stick together and work hard and put our minds to it, we have no limits. And there is no one other than ourselves on which we must depend that can direct our lives. We are the captain of our soul. And man prepares now to glorify himself just 11 chapters in and to fortify himself himself. Today, we have shortened all of that into a four-letter word that we finally entered into the dictionary in 2017, and the word is woke. The word is woke means you have a new enlightenment. You've discovered that, hey, there's a lot of old things that held me back and a lot of old beliefs that I have that are archaic and they're not worthy of my time anymore. And, 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 and doggone it, uh, I love God, but I love me too. And, and I even think God wants me to love me. And, and certainly there's some truth to that. But I would quote another verse from Proverbs 21, 30. There is no wisdom and no understanding and no counsel against the Lord. I don't care how many people say it. I don't care how smart they may seem. I don't care how many books they write about it. If it goes against what God's Word has said, it will not work. It will not work. We have signs that say pedestrians have the right of way, but... That's only theoretically. You still probably ought to look both ways before you step out there. And and we can say whatever we want, but then there is the reality that God is in charge of. And, And I can just tell you now, God doesn't obey anybody. And if you ignore him and disobey him, you will do so. We will do so to our own peril, friend. Now, I want to say a few things here. We're going to talk about the weakness of wokeness. And the reason I entitled it that is because I thought that sounded cool. But there are some weaknesses of wokeness. It's an old idea. Oh, it's, oh, it sounds new. It's got a lot of bondo and polish on it, but it's an old old idea that human beings began to embrace their own thinking and their own abilities. But boy, there's some weaknesses to it, and and we should take a serious look at them. So let's first of all look in verse 2. One of the things that makes wokeness so weak is the place we choose to exist. 
And here it was geographical, but it was also spiritual. Because some people have decided, like it says here, it came about as they journeyed east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. That's not what God told them to do. God had already told them to go forth to the whole earth and multiply and be prosperous and fruitful over the whole earth. But just like so many do even today, they kind of found the place, uh, a spot in that thinking between them and God that they liked. They found Shinar and they said, boy, this place is really cool and And you know, if we keep doing what God said, we're going to get all scattered out and we're going to be weak and and we'll be frail and we won't be able to really have a, have a, a, a name that we can be proud of. So they decided that they would disobey God. And let me tell you, Shinar is where a man named Nimrod will build the city of Babylon. And let me make sure we get this right. Babylon was a city. It is no more a city. The ruins of it are about 55 miles south of Baghdad. It is no more a city. It was destroyed a long time ago as a physical place where people dwell. But it won't be destroyed completely until we get over in the Revelation. And God says the day is coming when Babylon as a philosophy, when Babylon as an anti-God kingdom, when Babylon, the personification of disobedience and, and pride and shaking our fist in the face of God, he says the day will come when I will put an end to all of that. Nimrod, Ham was the son of Noah that he had a son named Cana and uh, I think there was one more and then Nimrod. But Nimrod was the one who built this city. His name actually means revolt or rebel. Today, rebelling is a kind of a badge of honor that's worn among the progressive uh, wing of Christianity even and and among the woke. I'm a rebel. I stand up for me and I finally decided that nobody's going to tell me what to do. And and they still say they believe the Bible, a lot of them that claim to be Christian. But when they read a verse that they don't like, it's preacher Mike preaching it. But when they read a verse they do like, it's God speaking to them. I want to tell you, the Word of God is not a cafeteria line. You don't take what you want and leave what you don't like. I didn't write it. I didn't ask for the job of preaching it. But I have to preach it the way God wrote it. Other words, I'm not worth your time to ever come and hear. And until, by the way, God takes the last breath out of this body, I will preach it the way he wrote it. But they found a place that was comfortable. There's a lot of people you've noticed nowadays, they've kind of found a place that's, that's comfortable, a place they like. And, and when they found this spot, they built what's called a ziggurat. And a ziggurat is one of these old towers you've seen. It's like a pyramid, and there's a set of steps that goes all the way to the top of it, And on the top of it will be a temple. And we have ruins of some of them uh, built way back in this day that we have discovered in the area of Iraq. As a matter of fact, uh, Saddam Hussein himself had the inclination to one day be like Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, the the Neo-Nebuchadnezzar, the new ruler of the world. And, and boy, he prided himself in that. As a matter of fact, he had uh, a, a, an excavation going on, digging out one of the ziggurats uh, when we went to war with him. But you need to remember what he looked like when he went from a prideful man that thought he could take whatever he wanted and cared not what God had to say about it. You remember what he looked like when we pulled him out of that hole, handed him over to his own people, and they almost tore his head completely off when they shoved him off the scaffolding. 
with a rope around his neck sort of reminds you of Mussolini, the coward, after all the belching forth of pride from a balcony, you see him talking to the people of Italy, and at the end of World War II, he puts on a German uniform and tries to flee in disguise, but they caught him and hung him and his wife by the feet at an old gas station and shot them full of holes. That's how the wicked have been dying for years. You'd think we would finally learn a lesson from that. But they put a temple on top of it. Babylon, again, make sure you get this. It is a city. started in Genesis. We'll see Neo-Babylon, the Neo-Babylonian Empire, near the end of the Old Testament. That's where they come back and they overthrow the Assyrians and then the Persians will finally overthrow the Babylonians. And Nebuchadnezzar rises to power near the end of the Old Testament and then near the end of the New Testament. We'll read it in a little bit. God puts an end to all of it. An end to all of it. The place we choose to exist. You know I'm speaking spiritually now, not geographically. doesn't matter where you live physically. But a lot of people, instead of doing what God said, they stop short. And they kind of found a place where they're real comfortable. I kind of like this relationship I got with God. I, 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 I don't, and a lot, a lot of them, they don't go to church anymore. They don't go to church. I've even heard some of them say that I'm closer to God now that I don't go to church than I've ever been in my life. If I told you that I hadn't been home to be with Loretta in over four or five years, but I feel closer to her now than I ever have in my life, would you believe me? Of course you would not. Only a fool would make such a statement. But people make them all the time because they found a place where they're kind of comfortable. They do believe this, but hey, they got some friends that are this way. And well, the Bible says they shouldn't be, but I know I love them and I care about them. And you that, and the other. And well, I live with my girlfriend or boyfriend. And I know Preacher Mike says, boy, I get a lot of credit. Preacher Mike says that's wrong. I don't say that's wrong. God says that's wrong. But if you feel kind of good, some of them just go on to church like that, just as if, hey, no big deal. They found a comfortable place spiritually, and that's where they decided to live. Well, that kind of thinking is weak. Secondly, it's weak because of the people we choose to engage It says in verse 3, they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. When they started talking to one another, they were in trouble. Because I want to tell you something. When we want to do something foolish as humans, if we can get a little cooperation from some other humans, boy, we're bound to do something really crazy. You think about the 20 months in this country that people burn cities to the ground and courthouses and people's private businesses and homes and they kill people and and stomp the windshields out of police cars and all of that. You rarely ever saw, if ever, one person going out on a Saturday morning and deciding to destroy something. But boy, when it became night and the crowds came out there, all of a sudden shy people became the super man of idiocy. Sometimes when we discuss things with others, and I have people tell me sometimes, well, I I know that's not uh, what the Bible says, but you know, I've I've been talking to some other, uh, other people and and, 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 and you know, some of them feel the same way. I, I, I will just quote Psalm one, verse one, blessed, happy, peaceful, contented, Not all jacked out of place. That's my translation of that. Is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. The ungodly will tell you anything. Let me just tell you what. Try this. Go on Facebook. Experiment. And just put on there. I don't really feel like I am a sinner. 
I mean, I know that I'm not perfect, but I wouldn't say I'm a sinner, and I think God loves me just like I am. Ooh, Lord, you'll get those thumbs up and those smiley faces, and then you'll have friends that will go, oh, John, I've always thought you were such a fine person, and and, and man, I'm with you. I, I oh, have mercy. I doubt you'll have anybody that will tell you, what, have you lost your mind? Have you not ever read the Bible? No. Boy, if all you need is some people to agree with you before you go do something stupid, I'd go ahead and get a wheel made out if I were you. Because there's a good chance you may wind up dead before long. My goodness. And I've seen it recently. We just had this big tiff uh, in the news about the Southern Baptist Convention breaking ties with Rick Warren's church over women pastors. And his church believes that women can be pastors. And, of course, you know, some people it was interesting. They said, well, but the Baptists in the Baptist faith and message say that women cannot be pastors. I wish they would have gone on back one more resource because in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9 through verse 15, it says that women cannot be pastors. And I'm not trying to juice up that argument, but what I'm simply saying is I want to ask those people that feel like, well, that is just so stupid and so divisive and the Southern Baptists are ridiculous for that. They're ridiculous for a lot of things, but they're not ridiculous for that. Because I'm going to tell you, I, I, would, I would ask you, if you feel that way, which one of those verses in Timothy did you decide is not true? Not inspired. Not from God. How many other places in the Bible do you plan to do that? It's what the Word says. People talk a lot of times about they don't like denominations and how they, they hate it, and it's kind of interesting how people that believe that, well, denominations just cause division, and, and, and I just hate denominations. And, and sometimes I, I, I'm curious, well, with what other denominations would you like for us to join? It, it, we, we could join with the Seventh-day Adventists, but then you won't be able to eat meat anymore. So let's pick a different one, okay? And their dietary laws, and plus your Saturday's going to be blown for a while. We could join the Jehovah's Witnesses, but then you can't have Christmas anymore, and you can't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and when you die, you'll go to hell. You want us to join with them? you got to help me here. If we want to knock down these denominational walls, you got to show me where to pop it with the hammer. I think that feeling that we ought to just have one religion and and we ought to all come together because the children of God should be able to do that. Let me tell you, the children of God are able to do that. Well, preacher, that's the most judgmental thing I believe I've ever heard. Stick around. Stick around. It gets worse. Man, why didn't we learn from Genesis 11? All the way back here. That unity and peace are not ultimate goals. Because it's better to have division than collective apostasy, friend. And remember what Jesus said. He said, don't even think that I came to bring peace. Or to tear down walls. He said, I came to bring a sword. And he says, following me will cause division between you and the dearest people in your own family. It's just what he said. <laughs> Some people like, and I'll do another one here and we'll move on. But another one of the things that people engage in these conversations about is there's many ways to God. The word bab. Eli, I told you already, in the Semitic languages and the Arcadian languages, meant gateway of God. And I think we kind of misunderstood the, probably the Tower of Babel. It wasn't that they were building it trying to reach God in a way to overthrow him. 
No, at the top would be a temple. And they were inviting the gods to come through their gateway to where they are. It's not about me going where God wants me to be. It's about God coming and meeting me where I want God to meet me. Now, some would say, well, Jesus did come to us. He did. And he did live on this earth among us. Praise God, he did. But he also said, meet me at the cross. That's where we're going to get together because I'm going to die for your sinfulness and you have to die as well. And then if that's a problem for you, he did not go on and say, well, there will be many saved this way and there will be some others that will get saved another way and, and some will just embrace the, their own understanding of salvation. Some will even say that, that, that I've learned how to forgive my own self. So, wow. You may not even need Jesus. I can tell you there is one way to God, and that is through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's not just by knowing about Him. It's by taking up your cross and my cross. It's about me doing it daily, He said in Luke. Every day, dying to self. Not celebrating self, He said dying to self. And coming and following him. The place we choose to exist, people we choose to engage. I can tell you, if your friends think ignorantly, you'll probably add to the mix if you're not careful. Thirdly, the products we choose to employ. What did they build this thing with? Well, they built it out of brick. They used brick instead of stone. And I know God's not given the law Yet, but I want to tell you, God had a disdain for this kind of thinking. As a matter of fact, He tells us in Exodus 20 25, if you make an altar of stone for me, you shall not build it of cut stones. Don't even cut the stones. You build it with the stones as you find them. Because He says, if you wield a tool on it, you will profane it. You will shape it into the way you want it. And He said, this is not about you shaping it into the way that you want it. The altar was a place where you come and sacrifice and die in worship to God. He says, that's not a place that should reflect you. It is a place that should reflect God. But they made this tower out of brick. When you make it out of brick, and we've dug some of them up there in Iraq, some of them on every single brick we found. And the ruins had the god Marduk written on it. That was a pagan deity of the Babylonians. So if if you're making it yourself, you can uh, use whatever material you like and put whatever God's name on there you want to put. But if you're worshiping the creator God, then you need to do it the way he says do it and do it with the stuff that he says to use. Oh, you can't personalize rock too much. I used to I used to lay stone some and I was a stonemason. I enjoyed it uh immensely. I especially loved it when man made stone, we call it, came out. It's it's cultured stone is one of the companies that makes it because boy you could just pop that stone with a side of the trowel and knock the end off of it that didn't fit. But then on those jobs that where they wanted me to do the whole job in natural stone, I was like, you better be Jed Clampett because that's going to cost you. That's hard to do because you don't hit those stones and break them apart. Those stones, you find the place where it fits, and that's where it goes. It's amazing, though, how people nowadays have decided, look, I want to do it, and I want to do it my way. There's a great book out, The Christian Left. It's called by Lucas Miles, subtitled, How Liberal Thought Has Hijacked the Church. Let me read you a quote from him. He says, much like the infamous tactical device of the ancient Greeks, 
the devil has gifted our modern society with Trojan horses too. Remember the Trojan horse? It's probably mythological completely, but the story was they gave a horse away and a big wooden horse, and of course on the inside it was full of soldiers and what looked like something that would be good for them turned out to undermine them. Ideologies, he says, that appear to be valuable contributions to our faith, but are instead full of morally subversive stratagems designed to unravel the very theological framework of the church, critical race theory, liberation theology, the social gospel, on the face, all of those things look good, but I can tell you they subvert the teaching of the Word of God. It's a Trojan horse. He goes on to say this, and boy, this sums it up so well. Progressivism is attractive to formerly biblical Christians because it offers a sort of halfway house that allows them to remain largely religious and socially responsible, but relieves them from the responsibility of holding to that that they consider antiquated biblical teachings such as miracles, the authority of Scripture, sexual holiness, or the sinfulness of humanity. So you find all of that when you stop wherever you want to. When you want to believe as much of the Bible as you feel comfortable with, you stop somewhere around Shinar and you shake your fist in God's face and say, this is who I am. This is who I am. Boy. And I would even say this before we move to our last point. It has, been, it, it has become so despicable in the minds of some to be a born-again, Bible-believing Christian. Did you know that today we now have, and you can look it up, we have a process called deconversion. Deconversion. It's where you get rescued from believing crazy stuff like the Bible is the Word of God, that we're all sinful and need a Savior. All of those old antiquated, a flood, my goodness, what a children's story. But it's, oh, of course, you know, you've got to be a fool to believe in any of that. And, and some of the people were in churches so long and believed the Word of God so long and became so involved in Christianity, they now can go through a deconversion process where they'll help make you into a liberal, progressive, woke intellectual. The Bible will call you a fool, but you're free from that now. You're free. Man. Last of all, the purpose we choose to embrace. Where we decide to stop with our thinking and faithfulness. Where we, what, the people we decide that we're going to believe. The products we decide to use in building our life. Jesus warned us about building on the sand. Last of all, the purpose we choose to embrace. In verse 4, they said, let us make ourselves a name. Noah had a son named Ham. He was cursed from just about the beginning. He was dishonorable to his father right after the flood. He had a son named Canaan. Canaan had a son named Nimrod. Nimrod was the ring leader of ancient globalism. Let's stick together. Let's make ourselves powerful. And today, globalism is very popular in our world. People talk about, you know, not only breaking down denominations, but there are people in our world today that, and a lot of them are very liberal in their thinking, but they're like, 
we ought to tear down boundaries and all of that and not have countries. We should just be one people. And their efforts to give us a global government right now and their efforts to have a global currency right now and, and all of those things are in the mix. People have been talking about it for years. It's the same old ideology that they had in Genesis 11 because people in our world today believe if we'll just stick together, we won't ever need a God. The only reason we used to believe in that kind of trash was because we were weak. But we can be strong now. How, how foolish. I would ask maybe some of them, I'd love to ask a liberal feminist, well, if we're all going to come together and be one country, are we going to follow Afghan, the Afghanistan law on whether women can drive a car or not or our law? Which one would you like? Of course, they're not going to allow you to be a feminist either, not a live one. It's sad, really. But let me read you this as I close. Babylon always, throughout Scripture, whether it's spoken of as the physical city or empire or is the way of thinking, the spiritual kingdom of darkness was always against God. And it is even today. When will it end? Let me read for you, please, as we close today. Revelation chapter 18, verse 1 says, And after these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. He cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. There is no city of Babylon. It's been gone now for 2,500 years. This is the kingdom of Babylon that we see all around us now. Babylon the Great, she has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality. All the nations. They got caught up in it. Don't, don't, please don't look at me. I mean, you, you can disagree, but please don't look at me like I've lost my mind or that, th- th- that I over-exaggerated this, this Babylonian ideology. He, he, please, re- just please read what his word says that all of the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins. Did you get that? We've been given an invitation, okay? So that you will not participate in her sins and receive her plagues. For her sins, this is so ironic. Don't miss it. Her sins have piled up as high as heaven. Something about them finally reached heaven. It wasn't their tower. It was their ungodliness. And God has remembered her iniquities. Verse 6, pay her back even as she has paid and give back to her double according to her deeds in the cup which she has mixed. Mix twice as much for her, God says, to the degree that she glorified herself. Remember? And lived sensuously. To the same degree give her torment and mourning for she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and I am not a widow. Isaiah had prophesied that Babylon, you're not a queen. You're not a queen and you have no offspring. You are a, or or you have no husband. You are a widow. Oh, but Babylon said, I sit as a queen and I'm not a widow. And will never see mourning. For this reason, in one day, God says her plagues will come. 
pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For the Lord God who judges her is strong. And the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city, Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come. Man, this is our invitation to get out while the getting's good. To stop allowing our churches to be infiltrated with these Trojan horses with ideas that are unbiblical, unscriptural. To stop finding some place along the way that's not where God sent us, but we're kind of comfortable there. And we just kind of hunkered down knowing that that's not what God told us to do and be. We have a world that I believe is facing and it's coming closer every day, the judgment of God. You know, I was looking back in some of my old sermon notes. Now, this will tell you how long I've been preaching. You know I did Barnabas' Barnabas's funeral. So I've been around a while. I looked back on some of my old notes the other day, and I had a sermon where in that sermon, I told the church, I said, our country right now is indebted one and a half trillion. And I bet that's how I said it. I bet I leaned out like this microphone's on, but it's not. But I bet I leaned out and said one and a half trillion dollars. That's a long time ago, Ed. Try 33 trillion. 33 trillion. Man, all would have to happen. If overnight something crazy happened, you know, it's kind of hard to believe something crazy could happen in this world, right? No. If overnight sometime the dollar, the American dollar, quit being the currency for trading all shares, I got news for you. Every dollar you got in your pocket and in the bank, would be worth about two cents, if that. You got a drunken sailor's name on all that money you saved up, and he owes money everywhere. <laughs> and it says, in God we trust, and that's the truth. The God is that piece of paper they wrote that on. There's all kinds of ways God could judge us. Now, I'm not a pessimist. Don't get me wrong. If my wife is sitting here thinking, thank goodness, he's probably not going to buy another gun. I'm I'm, I'm not saying anything like that. That's just crazy. Because I want to go back to the first part. Every time. Every time we messed it up. God had a plan. He's got one now. Why don't we ride with him? Stop arguing. Stop fighting him. Stop getting together with other friends that make us feel good about our disobedience. What if we decide, God, when it all breaks loose, I want to be with you, Lord. Because you got a plan. 
You got a plan. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word. God, it's so enlightening for us today in the midst of the chaos and all of the foolishness, Lord, that just blows our mind. Things that, Lord, we just, they just seem like they came out of nowhere. It's, it's reassuring, Lord, that we can go all the way back to Genesis 11. And we realize how wise Solomon was when he said, there is really nothing new under the sun. This thinking's been here a long time. It's called other things now, but at one time it was called Babylon. I pray you'd help us, God. Help us when we're tempted to compromise. Help us, God, to get out of Shinar, that place where we may have stopped. Maybe we stopped there years ago. and We just haven't moved on, God. We settled there. As it said in the passage today, we decided that, well, right, right here's okay. Because if I get more serious, I've got to stop doing some things I love. God, I pray you'd help us to love you more than anything with all our hearts and with all our souls and with all our minds, Lord, and with all our strength, God. You tell us, Father, that that is the first and foremost commandment. And then we can love our neighbor. I pray you'll help us, God. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.